Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. I'm not actually quite sure how Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah came to be sung at funerals in our family, but it did. We sang it at Grandma Springfield service in the spring of 2000, and again, much more unexpectedly, about six weeks later at my Uncle Stewart's. On a cold January day 11 years ago, we buried my mother from the John Brown University Chapel in Siloam Springs. As the service closed, my brother and Kirk and I picked up the old pine box Dad had refinished, which now contained Mon's ashes, and our extended family processed out of the church as the congregation sang, When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside, death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. We walked on with the ashes across University Street and into the Oak Hill Cemetery where we dug a hole in the cold earth and committed her body to the ground. Almost exactly 10 years later, we opened the funeral service for my father with the very same hymn in the very same chapel, exactly as he wanted it. And while Ardell knows this already, I might as well tell all of y'all that I fully expect you to sing me to the far side of the Jordan with that hymn when the time comes, all right? We'll not be singing Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah today, by the way, for several reasons. One of them is that Milton prints the orders of service on Thursday, and this was one of those weeks when I didn't get a word of the sermon written until yesterday. (laughs) And while worshiping in this hall lends a certain informality to our liturgy these days, Kristen still hasn't started taking hymn requests during the service, at least not yet. (laughs) But I've begun with this little diversion in my family's history with a hymn Firstly, as a reminder of how songs and stories are not limited to the meanings that their authors pack into them when they're created. They take on infinitely more meaning as they get told and sung by other voices in the midst of other lives, in other times, and other places. Meaning gets added like the growth rings of a tree as we pass songs and stories back and forth between us. The same is actually true of every word in a living language, isn't it? Especially the words we call names. You are not your name. Your name gets filled up with who you are in the imaginations of people who know you over the course of your whole life. Wouldn't you agree? In a very real sense, there is no such thing as a Jamar or a Julie. But there are living human beings who will turn aside and listen when we speak those names out loud. Yes, in a minute or two, we'll note that the same is even true of the elusive name of God. But there's another reason I brought up the particular hymn I did. Do you know the history of the name Jehovah? Well, the name God spoke to Moses at Horeb is particularly sacred to Jews. So sacred that some Jews believe it should never be uttered at all. Most scholars agree the name would have been pronounced Yahweh. But there were no vowels in ancient Hebrew. It wasn't until six centuries or so after a Jew named Jesus lived 
the scribes known as the Masoretes invented Hebrew vowels and began adding them to the biblical texts so that future generations would know how their forebears spoke. But those Masoretes didn't want somebody to be reading along one day and accidentally pronounce the holy name of God. So they mixed up the vowels. They literally took the vowels from Adonai, an entirely different Hebrew word, which is usually translated Lord, and they dropped those vowels between the consonants of Yahweh. Guess what you get when you do that? You get a name that in English sounds something like Jehovah. This curious etymology makes me love, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, all the more. That grand old hymn uses a nonsense name for God, which may be the most faithful way any God addresser can address God. Because all names for God are ultimately nonsense names, even the most holy ones. No name is sufficient to the mystery of God, just as your name doesn't explain the mystery of you. Names are only useful as means of connection and communication. After all, they mean nothing until we begin passing them between us and trying to make sense of our lives and our world together. Jehovah is not the name Moses heard at the burning bush. But it does seem like God was playing a game with Moses in the exchange, does it not? Moses asked for the divine name and hears, I am who I am. Robert Alter says a better translation might be, I will be who I will be. Either way, this sounds like an ancient version of Laurel and Hardy's Who's on First Routine, doesn't it? And maybe that's exactly what it was. Everybody's confused because we should always remember that the name of God is inadequate. Jews were wise enough to embed this confusion not only in that story, but in the letters on the pages of their sacred texts. Of course, if we get too legalistic about vocalizing the name of God, we can miss the wisdom of these warnings and slip into superstition. We might even come to believe in a God who makes arbitrary rules to sort out the obedient from the deviant, protecting the former and smiting the latter when they slip up and say the wrong thing. If this is how we think for, about the mystery of God's name, we might be further from the truth than we were before God had a name for us at all. Because our posture before such a God would be terror, not curiosity. Moses may well have feared God, but his fear did not send him away any more than his confusion did, did it? And this is where I think the genius and the power of the old story comes to the surface. Moses takes off his shoes, shields his eyes, and listens for the name of God. But when he hears the nonsense name, I will be who I will be, he doesn't throw up his hands and walk away since this God is an unknowable mystery. Quite the opposite. He leans in and listens all the more intently. For this story is the beginning of Moses' relationship with the great I Am, friends. Not the end of it. Moses is drawn only more deeply into relationship with Yahweh as he realizes all that he doesn't yet comprehend of this beautiful and burning God's mysterious but merciful ways. 
This humble curiosity is what saved the Hebrew people from slavery quite literally in this story, isn't it? And I think it can save our lives too if we let it. If we let our lives be drawn toward the mystery of the God who has no adequate name, we might also let ourselves be drawn to the mystery of one another. Because your name is inadequate to who you are in the depths of yourself as well. As is the name of the person you think knows you best in this world. And your oldest and archest enemy as well. In fact, did you notice the sign that was given in the story? The sign that God is the one Moses encountered that day is not the burning bush. Or the voice within it. It's not even the inscrutable name of God. The sign that it was truly God who sent Moses to liberate God's people would be those very people. Not scattered, but drawn together in worship. This shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you, God says from the bush. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you, all of you, shall worship God on this mountain. In what may be the most famous encounter with the divine in human history, Moses will get his confirmation it was real in his life with other people. For it is among that beautiful, fickle, chosen, and beloved congregation that Moses will discover not only the one true God, but his own deepest gifts and his truest identity as he and they stumble off into the wilderness together toward their freedom. I'll leave you with an old story about the Rabbi Yehuda of Prague, who, one legend says, brought the clay figure of the golem to life by placing the name of God on a slip of paper under its tongue. Yehuda had a dream in which he died and was carried up to the great throne. There he met an angel and said, please, tell me if my name is written in the book among those who will have a share in the kingdom. The angel told the rabbi to wait as all the names of those who died that day were read from the book. The names he heard were strange to his ears. And as the angel read, the forms of souls would rise up into the glory that swirled above the throne. Thousands of names were read before the angel finished and closed the book. Rabbi Yehuda cried, please, there must be some mistake. My name was not among those you read. Everyone's name is written in the book, said the angel. Maybe some have only once in their lives been called by their right name. Here they must wait till they hear their names and know them. And if no one has ever called them by their right name, here they will wait until they are silent enough to hear the master of the universe himself calling them. Rabbi Yehuda rose from his bed in tears and prayed, Master of the universe, grant that once in my life I would hear my true name on the lips of my brothers. May each of us be so curious about the name of the master of this universe. And so curious about the true name of our brothers and our sisters in this life. Strange and infuriating mysteries as they may be to us from time to time. And may each of us also be so curious about our own true names, which may only be heard on the lips of those sisters and brothers. Perhaps what's first required for each of us 
is like Moses, that we simply stop and turn aside to the living, breathing miracle beside you, maybe even in this great congregation today. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.